Hello and welcome to Cabin Boy Minute, Minute 16. In this minute, we get to see Paps give Kenny some dining advice, we watch the ship prepare for departure, and we see the impact of a hard day's work on the crew. Get ready to set sail with Cabin Boy Minute, Minute 16. back everybody to cabin boy minute minute 16 starts with our great line don't chew it all in one place shit for brains <laughs> brilliant line brilliant great laugh i mean great introduction <laughs> what a fabulous character absolutely so after the line kenny gives a huh huh Huh. A little jump he does. <laughs> Swallows a bit. And it's not so much the line, but the delivery of gum. Oh. <laughs> Just him standing there, holding the gum, staring at it sadly with the single word below. It's beautiful. <laughs> like a Zen painting. Less is more. And he's, everything he does is wonderful in this movie. The reaction to it, the attempt to laugh along with the crew. Right? He's, like, yeah. <laughs> he's trying to have fun, and then when he finally gives up, and they're, he realizes they're ignoring him, and he looks at the gum, and he's just trying to process that. And a, a little variation, which would be a different joke in the screenplay. So they toss the gum at Kenny. Skunk tosses the gum at Kenny. They call Paps a scrawny guy. He calls Kenny ugly instead of shit for brains. But Kenny was supposed to be toothless. And this was shown just after they gave the gum to him. So perhaps another joke that they're giving gum to a toothless cabin boy. Wow, Mm. that is brutal and so much better. I did double check to make sure, uh, and uh, Kenny does have perfectly nice pearly whites in there. He does. He does. does. He's a handsome man. So we get to the first shot of the side of the ship, really, where we see the actual uh, words, the filthy whore, for the first time. And a shot of the figurehead. I don't believe at this point it's actually Ricky Lake, although it's made to look like her. But yeah, you'd really have to look for it to see the the words to Filthy Whore. You're you're way too focused on Kenny, because as they they go to that shot, that's when he's trying to put down the two red buckets, which immediately fall in the water. And of course, as with everything Andy does, just his reaction to it, waves his arms at it, stumbles around a little bit, and then goes over to the rigging and just starts pulling on it. So, okay. Yeah, so he's pulling on... So on a lot of these ships, there's kind of a ladder-looking thing, right? It's it's like these wooden planks, wooden rungs that are held together with ropes, almost looking like some kind of rope ladder. Mm-hmm. I determine that thing that he's pulling are called the lower shrouds, and they hold the mast up. There's another shroud called the futtick, not buttick, but futtick <laughs> shrouds, which I believe connect the crow's nest to these lower shrouds. But he is pulling on the lower shrouds to be technical. Did you guys oh. catch the, the green light and the red light? Of yes. Course. The green light is for starboard. 
red lights for port. Yeah, so the lights uh, are correct if you looked at it. And the reason that they have lights like this, as you just stated, the green on the starboard and red on port, by considering the order of the lights on a vessel, a conclusion can be drawn as to the position of the craft by following a simple convention to decide direction of movement. So if you know what side they're on, you know whether the boat is coming towards you or going away from you based on where the colors of the lights are. So it's a safety thing. The words port and starboard come from the old English. Early boats were steered with the aid of a steering oar at the stern. The majority of sailors were right-handed, so the steering oars functioned as the rudders of the craft. It was easier for right-handed people to steer on the right side of the ship when facing forward. So this side became known as the steer board, which was later corrupted into the word starboard. Mm. For smaller crafts, this led to difficulty in loading goods from the right side of the boats, so the left side became known as the port side, because that's where they would load and unload the boat at port. Fascinating. I like that. Starboard and port. Great to know. Okay. As the crew was preparing the ship, we had Kenny helping with the uh, lower shrouds. We have Skunk and Big Teddy in the background. They're raising the mainsail, or mainsail, if you will. I won't. <laughs> Uh, that's that's probably right. You hear Cappy in the background. All right, listen up. We're going to sail out of here tonight and run straight on through till morning. Drop our nets at daybreak and catch them scaly bastards while they're still groggy. Then you it away. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. He immediately presents himself as a great leader, a good captain. He does. And he has that booming voice that uh, is hard to argue with. It is motivational. So... In the screenplay, this is all a bit different. Big Teddy says, first off, if we don't head out now, we ain't going to get a good enough start on them other boats. So as you may recall, uh, this movie is based on Captain's Courageous. And one of the stimulus that drove the story along in Captain's Courageous was this rival boat that they were constantly seeing out at sea. And so as it's written in the screenplay, it's a little more in line with what happens in Captain's Courageous, where the reason that they were having this conversation is to try and beat the other boat. That's why they're going out and not this kind of arbitrary reason that Graybar is giving to get the fish while they're still groggy. I see. So Graybar's whole speech is different. He calls the crew ladies and refers to the other boats as nitwits. So he says, uh, by the time them other nitwits open their eyes and drop their cranks, we'll be 30 miles out to sea. And this time we're going to catch us some damn fish or I'm going to chop off my left arm and feed it to the wife. Prepare to set sail. Wow. That is probably one of the rare occasions where it is actually better in the script. <laughs> <laughs> what did you come up with with what kind of ship? So as near as I can tell, it's a catch. K-E-T-C-H. After having watched Captain's Courageous and they're on the schooners, right? That's kind of the typical boat of the time. So I started looking into it, and the setup of the sails on a schooner, a schooner is a two-masted boat, but the mast in the rear is the taller one, whereas on the filthy whore, it's the mast in the front that's the taller one, which signifies a catch. Two-masted boat, the foremast is slightly taller than the rear mast, and then there's a smaller mast up front to kind of control the boat. 
All right. Now let's not let's not make our audience wait any longer. <laughs> Discourse on Nathaniel's music box. Well, first off, cut shot to the music box, which is a little ballerina dancing. This ballerina box. <laughs> so the the song it's playing is a song called Beautiful Dreamer. Oh, he found it. Good man. Sure. Beautiful Dreamer is a parlor song by American songwriter Stephen Foster, uh, who was alive from 1826 to 1864, published posthumously. uh, But the song itself tells of a lover serenading a beautiful dreamer who is oblivious to worldly cares and may actually be dead. I think this is a great tie-in to this idea of Nathaniel awaking from his folly, right? He's oblivious to the cares of the world as he sleeps away daintily. A few of the lyrics of the song that I just pulled out because they seem most appropriate. Choice lyrics. Sounds of the rude world heard in the day lulled by the moonlight have all passed away and the wikipedia page uh, lists some films that it was used in cabin boy not listed but it now is listed excellent great work it is indeed a jewelry box you know it's a music i don't know if this is uh i don't own a music box but maybe they're all like this it's made for holding jewelry as well as entertaining with its music so they, I couldn't find it exactly, but that actual ballerina figurine, mm-hmm. uh, that particular type of ballerina seen most in line with these music jewelry boxes known as Swiss Rouge dancing ballerina music jewelry boxes. Uh, they've been around from 1865, and they manufacture these in the Swiss mountains. They're known as a, a very good company for making music boxes. It's a very pretty little box, although I will admit that uh, on close examination, the ballerina itself looked a little cheap, but obviously held a special place in his heart. Well, and again, those if you look, those very expensive, nice ones uh, have that same ballerina. The ballerina actually looks, because these were made in like the late 1800s, I guess. So it was probably a fine artwork in that time. But it does look plastic to me. But so did those ones that I found online. So I, 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 maybe there was some other medium that was plastic-like that during those times. I don't know. Obviously, Nathaniel wouldn't have some sort of cheap music box. He would have some sort of expensive collectible thing that would reside in the possession of extraordinarily rich young men, etc., etc. So we cut back out to the ship as a whole. So we see Paps and Big Teddy sleeping on just a variety of nets, buoys, buckets. We have all these empty beer cans, cappies, finishes chugging some bottle as he walks away and then just smashes it down on the side of the ship. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. we, we, we have at least a case of beer that's been drank. Tall boys, too. Those aren't even, you know, kind of the 12-ounce beer cans. Those look like those are all 16 ounces, 16-ounce cans right there. All drank, all the liquor, and they haven't reached their destination yet. So this has been done over the course of, like, four hours, maybe six, something like that. Yeah, presumably they're all new beer cans. They're not not. uh, littered beforehand. I I would guess Kenny would have cleaned up the ship prior to them arriving back. 
Did Senny drink any of the beer? No. I would also say no. But why is Skunk sailing the ship? Somebody has to. As opposed to Kenny. I mean, he's sober. And he's really good with maps. And a big teddy coughing away there. Oh, coughing horribly and convincingly. (laughs) (laughs) He did only die a few years later, right? Yep. It's true. I mean, that seemed... possible that it was for real. Yeah. That seemed like a pretty rough cough. He's not smoking in the movie as opposed to Cappy and uh, Paps. So maybe he's uh, already well on his way to lung cancer and his jury tried quitting. So Cappy stumbles forward, yells out, so skunk! And our minute ends. All right. Well, we do have another shocking revelation. Oh, my. From the screenplay. Mmm. You guys are not going to believe this. We got for us. So we have in the screenplay another shot of the fishing village. Where we see the old salt again laughing as the filthy horse sails away. And he says, wait till Graybar gets a load of the little present I sent him. Wow. Mm, must have done something to piss that guy off. Yep. Wow. Apparently some sort of vendetta between the old salt and Graybar. Huh? So it was fully intentional. Sent him, specifically sent him down to the filthy whore. I could see them dropping that both from the expense of the exterior shot and trying to come up with the reason as to why they would accept Nathaniel on board. Right, like, how would the old salt know that just by sending Nathaniel down to the docks that he would actually end up on the ship? Right, and the, this was one of the earlier discussions we had on a prior minute. If Burton directed, or what would make this more palatable? You know, having the stronger reason for why he's on this boat. What likely would have happened is he would have just sent him down the way. He would have seen the filthy whore and turned back and started yelling at the old salt or something like that. I mean, the the likelihood of him actually getting onto that boat without any sort of other reason other than him convincing himself that this was a theme ship is seems highly unlikely and certainly couldn't have been the plan of the old salt. Unless unless he's done this before. And they have a whole system set up. It's almost like people getting shanghaied. They <laughs> intercept them. So are, are you implying that Kenny's in on it? I'm implying that everyone is in on it. Maybe what happened here is things went sideways when Kenny went overboard. But prior to that, it was just a way of getting these, uh, getting free labor on the fishing vessels. We did note that the whole town seemed to be conspiring, or not necessarily conspiring, but making fun of Nathaniel the entire time, so... It doesn't seem that unlikely that they would have some sort of system set up. So, yeah, maybe. I mean, that could be a a fan theory. I like it. At the very least, it gives a rationale for why he's convinced to get on the boat, which which has always been a real sticking point for me. On to the commentary. Resnick goes on to explain if there was any version of a movie like this shot today, they would be young comics in the roles. They would never let you cast it this way. So if we were to cast our dream filthy whore crew dream team, what would it be? I started off thinking about an idea, and it started with Big Teddy, and I immediately went to Sylvester Stallone for some reason. 
And I started thinking about, you know, an all action superstar cast. So Paps was Chuck Norris. I also had Mel Gibson there. Kathy, I had as Bruce Willis or Arnold Schwarzenegger. Skunk, I had as Jet Li. Yeah, that that's that's what that was my first lineup before I went all black, which I'm really uh, I'm really leaning towards. My black crew for Paps is Chris Tucker. Big Teddy is Terry Crews. Kathy is either Danny Glover or Idris Elba. Skunk is either Wesley Snipes or Ice Cube. And then I have Tom Lister as Kenny and John Witherspoon as as the old salt. Mm, that's pretty good. I think um, I think you're going to have to get in contact with, uh, what's his name, Jordan Peele? Right. Yeah, well, well, let's hit get him up. a remake going here. No. Yep. All right. Well, I I really enjoy your cast, and I'm I'm gonna reserve comments until I give you mine, and then maybe we can uh, come up with uh, somewhere in between, or or pick one or the other, or whatever. So I had for Cappy either uh, Marlon Brando, uh, Jack Nicholson, or Anthony Hopkins for Skunk, Leonardo DiCaprio, Tom Hanks, or Gary Oldman, <laughs> uh, Big Teddy, Tim Robbins, or Daniel Day Lewis. Paps, Matthew McConaughey, or Joaquin Phoenix. And uh, on the Kenny note, just stick with Andy. Wow. I, I think those are spectacular all the way around. So, I mean, regarding regarding your list, I think T- Terry Crews is, is a perfect Big Teddy. I like Idris Elba as uh, Cappy. Uh, of the ones you listed, uh, Mel Gibson as Paps. And and I really enjoy the idea of Jet Li as skunk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean it's all great. I agree. Elba, Idris Elba's Cappy, Terry Crews's Big Teddy is awesome. Although I do have to say Tim Robbins as Big Teddy, like I I felt that just slotted in immediately. I mean uh, I I would really like to see Daniel Day Lewis. <laughs> 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 Arguably the finest actor. Uh, who wins the scene? I want to, I mean, I immediately want to go for Paps here just because he exploded onto the scene. I mean, he was only on there for a moment and then again, you know, passed out. But when he came on, he was on. This is true. But we've still got Kenny and he's effing amazing. So Kenny wins the scene. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I like what you're saying, Scott. I, I said I give it to Kenny for the first 25 seconds because he's not really in it past that. And then I, I had an honorable mention for Big Teddy's cough alone. <laughs> <laughs> and it really is the first time we get to hear Graybar as Graybar, you know, given one of those speeches that we hear a few times throughout the movie, which is quite nice. So He's a close second after that. Personally, going to have to give it to Kenny myself. Okay. I can I can see where you guys are coming from. Paps is wonderful. James Gammon is great. But, uh, yeah, Kenny, he's just such a powerful presence. When he drops those buckets, <laughs> then makes up for it by <laughs> fixing <Tugging>. the boat. <laughs> <laughs> right. Just kind of ignoring it. That's great. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, we touched on this already. The the more palatable, so the the notes that I had uh, more palatable to the general public. Maybe a little more development of the crew up to this point. I know we just saw them, but maybe there was something earlier that gave us a little uh, little more context. Perhaps them eating lunch or or something. We uh, we hear a little bit more of their backstory, adding that element of from Captain's courageous with the rival ship giving that kind of purpose of them uh, rushing out there. And again, another antagonism uh, along the way throughout the movie. That could be something that they could build on. And I would love to see more depth into that vendetta between the Old Salt and uh, Graybar. And then uh, our quote, nothing so liberates the heart as when a fool awakes from his folly. Again, hearkening back to the song playing in the background, The Beautiful Dreamer, just to dig a little deeper into that. So, again, the song is described as someone who is oblivious to worldly cares and may actually be dead. Hmm. Perhaps he's dead. Perhaps he was killed by the old salt. Maybe he was killed by Kenny. Killed by Kenny. The chum killed him. Maybe the chum killed him. The chum was poisoned. Maybe you can't eat chum like that. I don't know. Scott, could you try some chum and let us know how you feel afterwards? We'll do. We'll do. I'll get on it. Thank you. If you're dead, um, sorry. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, the, again, again, that sixth sense moment. <laughs> can, we, can we look for clues throughout the movie from this point forward that, uh, that Nathaniel is actually dead throughout this whole thing? <laughs> and then those the lyrics I chose again, Sounds of the Rude World. Heard in the day, lulled by the moonlight, have all passed away. So this would be him speaking, I guess. Uh, he views the world as rude, the the town, the limo driver, all being rude to him, when in fact he's actually being rude to everyone else, but he convinces himself otherwise. So deep in his folly that he uh, cannot interpret reality. It's all, all just rearranged in his mind. Who wants to... Uh us out into gags per minute i can start it sure all right i got six you got pap's opening shit for brains kenny's reaction with gum is number two the buckets is number three the buckets falling off number three separately i have number four as pulling on the rope for no discernible reason number five is just the introduction of the music box and then number six was just cappy's belch that whole end there so that's my six Okay, I, I as well have shit for brains, the gum, the buckets, the ballerina. I did not have the rope. I, I believe I did deliberate over that, but I'm, I'm fine adding the rope. I probably wouldn't jump on board on the Cappy's belch train, so I guess I'm sitting somewhere at five right now. So we'll see what Rob has to say. I also have five. Came up with Paps Don't Shoot It All in One Place, the gum, the buckets, pulling on the rigging, and the music box for GPM of five. The last bit kind of shot of the crew didn't really feel like it, there was a particular gag in there, unless you want to call Big Teddy and Paps laying passed out on the ground a gag. Yeah, it was almost too natural. <laughs> <laughs> of course, that's how they're supposed to be. <laughs> All right, so can we agree on five? I still think Cappy's belch was funny and it was intended to be funny. Oh. I'm willing to outvote, unless you want to stand behind Scott. Uh, Rob, you must choose, but choose wisely. 
Well, I will not choose to stand behind Scott because I know how dangerous that can be. I'm sticking with my GPM of five. All right, GPM of five it is. And funny, not funny. So, this, again, calls into question, is a minute funny because the entire minute has been funny? Or is it funny simply because you laughed once? Right, and I I do appreciate the fact that you called me out, and I'm man enough to admit that in uh, minute 12 I did say that if it got uh, one good laugh. And it's funny because I re-listened to our conversation in minute 12, Mm. and to hear that conversation again, and you were wrestling with the same type of thing that I found myself wrestling with in the last minute, where we were both having that kind of internal fight. Is it, is it funny enough? You know, I was arguing the other point, but then as last week, I was trying to reconcile uh, just that one laugh being, and I found myself in that conundrum that was ex- almost exactly the same things you were saying that last time. But um, I guess it just depends on how you felt in the moment, you, whether you were willing to just kind of give it. Uh, it could be based on your mood at the moment, right? But in general, to your question, it's completely subjective, right? So... <laughs> I mean, it's just like the whole minute, is there a way we could frame it? If, if, if somebody just sat you down and you didn't know the movie and you just watched that minute, you know, uh, would that minute be funny? It's a tough call. This, I think, in particular, is a tough minute to evaluate. There's funny elements, right? It's, there's parts that are entertaining, but is, is there enough funniness in any given funny moment to elevate the entire minute? I think it's clear this minute is not funny. I feel like this whole discussion proves that it's not clear. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's. but what's the big laugh even in this? I mean, the shit, shit for, for brains, brains is, yeah. the big, is the big laugh. It, shit it's, for brains. If it was in the middle of the minute rather than the beginning or the end, the it's minute a, would be funny. It is a good point. You kind of It kind of gets lost for me because it's right at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah, like if this was... Just for a, a more obvious example, if this was somebody's daddy's missing a leg, smack dab in the middle of the scene, it, it would be unquestionably a funny scene. But I, I think you're right, Scott, in the fact that in my mind it's losing something because it's right at the beginning and you kind of forgot about it. Much like seeing David Letterman at the beginning of this movie, that's great, and then the rest of the movie falls off a cliff and nobody likes it. <laughs> Excellent. I am going for funny. And Rob, what did you say? I said I was going to go with not funny. (laughs) I mean, I knew from the beginning. I I mean, it's one of my favorite lines from the movie, and it was in this minute. I can't not say that it's funny just because the rest of the scene sort of trailed away. That line was hilarious. It is. I guess we got to come up with, I don't think we can definitively say that if one joke, because there's, there's varying degrees of joke. So, I mean, it could be a big laugh. I mean, that's a great line. But again, the whole the whole minute, I mean, I'm in that same conundrum. But you did, you, you are pushing me into the funny column. I'm surprised to hear myself say that, because I, I was pretty adamant that this was a not funny scene. But when you put it that way, if that line was in the middle, I probably would feel differently. If that line was in the middle, 
if he got him blowing smoke in his face, and then if the minute ended with Kenny pulling on the rigging, if that was the arc of the minute, unquestionably, right? Which, but should it matter? You know, are, are we the parts equal the whole? Like, if you chop up the pieces and put it, don't you still have the same stuff? Uh, it's it's the difficulty in what we're doing. We made the decision to evaluate the movie minute by minute, not scene by scene. And by going minute by minute, we're artificially cutting the rhythm of each scene, depending on how it falls. But forget that. Just take the shit for brains. If you put that in the middle, doesn't that... <laughs> if, you, if you take the shit for your brains <laughs> and put it in the middle of this minute doesn't it feel better to say that it was a it was a good solid minute i mean it settles that shit settles a little better in my brain yes in the middle yes and that and that should not matter if we're being fair so i you know scott you've you've convinced me uh, and i'm gonna call it funny now scott celebrating he's so happy because it's a, it's a great point i can't really argue with anything that's been said so i will also change my vote to funny wow now we know the world is ending (laughs) we are all pushovers scott's mastermind has brought (laughs) us to this moment funny minute on the strength of shit for brains (laughs) i mean (laughs) as people will do a psychological profile on the three of us after (laughs) after this of course, people. Of course, these nimrods are going to think that just because they said the word shit for brains, that this is a funny minute. He said a curse word. <laughs> exactly. The exact equivalent of that. All right. Anything else, gentlemen? No. All right. Well, thank you very much for joining us here on Cabin Boy Minute. This was Minute 16. We will see you next week on Minute 17. Adios. again for joining us on cabin boy minute please help spread the word tell your friends about us and rate and subscribe on your podcast medium of choice check out our episode notes where you can find calls to action details on how to support the pod or leave us a message or find us on twitter at at cabin boy minute we look forward to joining you again next week bon voyage